Good morning, my friends. This is Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. Yes, where we actually study the Bible and receive it as spiritual food. Now, today we're going to be in Psalm 11. Why don't you jump over there with me and let's open up today in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we study today the foundation of our faith, we ask, O oh God, for grace to be poured out, for the oil of your Spirit to flow, the spiritual eyes of our understanding to see clearly the need for a rock-solid foundation, particularly, O oh God, in the days in which we live. Now, we thank you for this anointing and grace in Jesus' name. And around the world, we say, Amen. Praise God. Psalm 11, in the Lord, I put my trust. This is verse one. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now today, let's talk along the line of spiritual foundations, I walk with the Lord, just as a house could have a concrete slab foundation or a commercial building could have the same. It is possible for erosion or a crack or a deficit, or maybe something wasn't even mixed properly into the concrete. And thus the foundation could be jeopardized. It could be a little bit unstable. And you put all of that weight of a structure on top of it, then that's going to, um, it's going to make it where there's an urgent repair that is needed. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Verse seven, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. So this area of righteousness, sanctification, we could call it being set apart for God, holiness, all of these things in this area of sanctification are very, very important to the Lord. Now, having said that, let me make a statement. Christianity is not meant to be built on prosperity. Christianity, are you ready for this? It's not meant to be built on healing. Neither is Christianity meant to be built on Deliverance. I know the subject of deliverance is very popular to the body of Christ right now um, because there's a lot of people having demon problems. But even still, Christianity is not built on deliverance. Christianity is not built on miracles as much as they are biblical. Christianity is not built on that. And we could also say that Christianity is not built on favor, although that's one of the most fascinating subjects in Scripture and you need favor to move forward and so forth. But even still, Christianity is not built on any of these things. Now, let me make statement B. Okay, that was statement A. Here's statement B. Never mistake the products of the faith for the foundation of the faith. Now, I'm sharing also with you this statement that was received by a great man of God, in an encounter he had with the Lord. And I'm glad he shared this because this is something that I have been seeing for years and we need to work in this area of foundations. So uh, the second part of the statement is never mistake the products of the faith for the foundation of the faith. So you have the foundation, but you have the various products. The products would be prosperity, healing, miracles, favor, deliverance, etc. But we must not mistake, again, we must not mistake the products of the faith for the foundation of the faith. Prosperity is a product of the faith. Miracles, a product of the faith. All of these are good things, but they're just products. Praise God. But the actual foundation of your faith is what? It's your sanctification. It's your life surrendered fully and set apart wholly for the Lord. It is complete commitment to God, his word, his will, and his ways. That is your sanctification. That is what is the foundation of your faith. Woo, praise the Lord. 
Now, without sanctification, our faith doesn't really have any foundation that would be solid to rest upon. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Let me see if I, I can explain this by giving some examples and bringing this out a little bit. In the times in which we're living today, many Christians serve God only for the products, not simply for who God is. You know, the great creator, the only God. You know, there is no other God. <laughs> He's it. <laughs> there's, there's on the good side, there's angels. On the bad side, there's the devil and demons. But there's only one God. There is no other God. But in the times we live, many Christians serve God only for the products. Now, here's a good example. I was thinking about this over the last few days. Do you remember 9-11, September 11, 2001? 9-11, the Twin Towers were attacked. Uh, about 3,000 people died. The towers collapsed. And just days later, you remember this, don't you? Days later, every church in America was packed out. I remember going to the church just a few days after 9-11. You couldn't get a seat anywhere. The church uh, that I was at, my pastor, uh, his church could seat about 2,000 people, and it was never really full, except maybe on like a Christmas or Easter event, but maybe had about 18, 1,700 members. But that day after 9-11, I mean, it was packed, and there was chairs being put out in overflow rooms. I mean, there was just people everywhere, and it was like that in every single church in America. Oh, Pastor Stephen, revival was on, wasn't it? Well, you already know the answer to that. Absolutely not. That lasted at the maximum two weeks. <laughs> we didn't even make it to two months. After two weeks, the crowds were gone. And you wondered, where did they come from? Where, where did they go? <laughs> what was going on? Well, people were looking for comfort and people were afraid. And so they, they rushed in a, in a sense to find, maybe they didn't have the words for it, but they're looking for a shepherd to console them. But after they realized the threat was not quite as drastic or as widespread as they thought, they dissipated and they left super quick. So they wanted God to give them some comfort and maybe to provide shelter from a bomb or you know a, a terrorist attack or something like that, but they certainly didn't want Jesus as their savior. They, they would like for Jesus to defend America, but as far as uh, the products, that they liked the products, but as far as the foundation of the faith, no, they didn't want anything to do with that. They were not willing to commit their full life to God, not in any way. That's why they all left. That's why they all left. So never mistake the products of the faith for the foundation of the faith. You know, let me say this because it's so true. Even if God doesn't bless you, he's still God. Pastor Stephen, I'm really mad at God because I didn't get that raise that I uh, applied for, and I, or I didn't get that promotion, or I didn't get that job that I so greatly wanted and prayed about. But you know what? God's still God. He is still God. Maybe he saw something that you didn't see, and he knew that that job was actually a trap, and uh, he blocked it out of his mercy and goodness. And so, you know, he is still God, even, even if he never heals the sick who would call out to God and say, God, heal my body. Even if he never he heals a sick person, he's still God. Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I'm glad we have all of these products. I really like healing. Nobody likes sickness, <laughs> right? And we thank God that healing is in the, the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus, our Messiah, has purchased for us through the shedding of his blood. But my friends, he's still God. Outside of all of these blessings, he's still God. And this is something that we never want to forget. You know, a couple of months back, I was reading a certain pastor. He said that he had a visitation from Jesus. And in this visitation, he talked with the Lord about just some various Bible topics. And the Lord allowed him to ask a few questions. And he said, um, the pastor said to Jesus in this vision, Lord, what, what really happened with Ananias and Sapphira? He said, I, you know, I can read in the book of Acts. I know that they lied to the Holy Spirit 
But he said, you know, people lie in church all the time, and there's like no automatic, super fast repercussion. So what took place with Ananias and Sapphira where they made this mistake and they just dropped dead? And this pastor said that Jesus in the vision told him that Ananias and Sapphira forgot who Peter was. In other words, they, this is not just your buddy, okay? And he said that they got familiar with Peter. And when you get familiar that with Peter, the apostle, the, the preeminent apostle, even of the 12, that's like getting real comfortable with uranium or radioactive material. You're forgetting something uh, that you're handling things that, that uh, they're dangerous. <laughs> and so with Peter, at times, having an anointing on him so strong that even those that got within proximity of a shadow were completely healed, and then you kind of like oh, overlook that and just treat him like a buddy, treat him like he's just a normal guy. What is one of the definitions of wisdom? The recognition of difference. Don't you have enough wisdom to recognize he's not your normal guy? He may look like it. He may just look like somebody that used to be an old fisherman, but that's not a fisherman. That is one of the original 12 apostles, and he was walking at that time in a tremendous anointing, and it bit them hard. Woo! It cost them their lives. Mm -mm. So these are things that we need to be aware of. Praise the Lord. We need to have full surrender in our lives. And even if God doesn't multiply quickly the seed that I sowed, or whatever the case might be, He's still God. And we need to always show great reverence and respect to the Almighty, to our Heavenly Father, He's our Father, and yes, Jesus, His Son, who is our Savior, and also have reverence for the Holy Spirit. And yes, there is that friendship element, absolutely, but there's also that element, our God is a consuming fire, and we don't ever want to forget that part. Praise the Lord. This is very interesting because in particularly, I would say, the Western churches, we are seeing um, a lot of compromise. Now, it's not surprising because those pastors that I see that are backing off foundational truths, to me, even going back 20 or 30 years when they were more uh, orthodox in their theology, but even then, something was kind of like not clicking. Something was always off anyhow. So now that they kind of come out and now they are renouncing certain things that are biblical and they're against certain things. It's not surprising. It's sad, but it's not surprising. You know, um, years back, there was a man, I won't say what city, he was a pastor and very well-known pastor in a very big city, loved by many people. But anytime I ever heard him preach, it seemed um, like something was off. And although he was famous and stuff like that, he was still staying within the boundaries of orthodox biblical teaching. But eventually he came out with his own theology of universalism, which is that everybody's going to be saved when they die. Even Hitler will be uh, saved and Hitler will make it to heaven and Mussolini, Stalin, and all of these horrible men. And uh, even this preacher said, even the old devil himself will one day be restored and he'll make heaven also. And that guy still believes that today. Now he lost his church, <laughs> right? Because even... Even his uh, uh, theologically liberal church members eventually said, we can't handle this. this he's gone way off now in, in the crazyville. <laughs> but oh, of course, when he went that route, the secular media just embraced him and said, oh, what a wonderful preacher and stuff like that. Listen, when the, when the media of the world that hates God and loves sin says that you're wonderful, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong somewhere. So, but again, it wasn't like really surprising because there was always something kind of compromised about him the whole time. You could just pick that up and sure enough, later on it blows up into that. But we need to have our foundation rock solid because if there is perhaps, you know, a tolerance to give in or to compromise against God's commandments, against our conscience that is shaped and formed by the Word of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit, well, then we need to shore that up and make sure there's no wet cement and make sure that this foundation is rock solid because, yes, we are living in times where because of social media and the Internet, uh, 
we are bombarded so often. And, you know, in, in many ways, I wish we didn't have these things, but, but there's a good part of them that we can utilize them for the gospel. But at the same time, the enemy tries to use it as a, uh, as leverage just to spread all of his darkness. And so we want to be aware of that so that we stay on the rock the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his teachings and never drift away from it. By the way, you will have moments in life, perhaps they are private or behind the scene conversation where you are presented certain things to back off or pull back or, or compromise. I've had those things. I had a man call me one time on the phone. I had a private cell phone number and um, this was before you could maybe look somebody's up by using the internet stuff or whatever. This guy called me and he supernaturally got my phone number and my ministry was just beginning. And he tried to lure me into something with a large uh, you know, financial carrot that he was dangling for me at the end of this quote deal that he was trying to quote present to me. <laughs> I didn't go for it. I knew, I knew it was like, it was like the devil. I felt like I was talking to the devil just about, but it was a real person under the influence or possessed by an evil spirit trying to get me to make a deal and go a different direction and don't be this, you know, really, um, you know, biblically adamant, you know, Pentecostal type preacher, you know, you can fudge the, fudge the numbers, fudge the book. I said, no, I said, I'm not doing this. And he kept on talking like the deal was still going to work. I said, no, I said, I'm hanging up the phone now. He said, don't hang up that phone. I said, I'm hanging up the phone. And when I slammed it down right before I slammed it down and it went click, I could hear his last desperate plea. Don't, don't hang up the phone. <laughs> Some of you need to hang up the phone on the devil because he's trying to mess with your foundation. Praise God. Now, let me show you something in, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. As you're turning to Daniel chapter, chapter 3, I kind of get this sense in my heart that there are a few of you that you're praying because you want to serve God. But you're, while you're praying, you're looking at the sin or you're contemplating the sin and thinking about it. So you're doing it wrong. What you need to do is when you pray, you pray and run away from sin. You don't pray and, oh, Jesus, yeah, that's really tempting. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's why it's not working. You pray. Don't look at that. You pray and run the opposite direction and, and run. Your prayer life needs to have some non-static dynamic movement. You know, they teach you that in uh, whether you're a, SWAT team or you know, get you get in the upper levels of police training. I have friends who know these things. If there's a shootout, active shootout, you, uh, uh, particularly if you're exposed, you've got to move or you're sitting duck. You've got to move the coverage or you have to, you have to move to uh, bring some confusion to your opponent. But it's very, very important. So that, I'm not saying that you need to be running around while you're praying, but I am saying that your focus needs to be running away from what would try to entice you, even while you pray. Okay, so pray in the right direction with some movement. Praise God. All right, Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. That uh, It says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, the, the, the them is, of course, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Of course, the gold image was a representation of him. How sick and disgusting. Let's be honest. There are politicians today. We saw it like crazy during COVID. There are politicians. There's mayors. There's governors. There's leaders who actually want you to worship them. They not only want you to vote for them, they want you to worship them. And they put like totalitarian, crushing, shutdown uh, actions upon certain people. Some states were horrible. I mean, it's like if you come out of your house, we're going to lock you up. If you don't wear a mask in your house, we're going to lock you up. And I would see people like in their cars with masks on in their cars, like terrified. Why? Because the totalitarian iron-fisted regime. It's like, if you don't do this, we're going... And so what they're actually uh, doing is they're trying to force you to bow, not just to the system, but to them. And really, really, they want you to worship them. 
Some of them, they wouldn't say it, but they, they, you can read it. It's bumping right up there to it. They actually want to be worshipped. Very, very interesting. Verse 17 well, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Why? Their foundation's already set. You're not going to talk these guys out of anything. <laughs> you're not going to get them to get drunk. You're not going to be able to buy them out by offering them, you know, your own private harem access or something like that. You're not going to be able to buy them out by promoting them to a higher position if they get in line. That's not going to work with people like this. And so they said, uh, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, in other words, you're going to throw us into the fire. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, in other words, if he doesn't deliver us from the, from the sense that we die and he takes us to be with him, but if not, let it be known to you. In other words, we get thrown into the fire. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image, which is like us worshiping you, which you have set up. Wow. Well, sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar is like, okay, I'm going to get real mad, of course. So he's like, I'm going to throw you all in the fiery furnace. <laughs> and he threw them in. <laughs> and the Lord stepped into that furnace with them. So they were offered a excuse. Uh, they were offered a way out. They were offered a means to compromise their sanctification. What do you mean sanctification? Your adherence to God forms the standard of your life. Thou shalt have, I'm quoting King James Version, right? Getting real spicy now. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Hey, King, we can't do this. We have a law. We have, we have directions that we live by, and to compromise them, it's not, it's not open to um, discussion. So they got thrown in. But see, here's the thing. They were like, even if God doesn't deliver us, he's still God. And we're not budging on this. We're just not going to budge on it. And it, this type of stuff never, ever goes away. You may not have like a brutal dictator like Idi Amin ruling over you and brutalizing the people and doing awful things like some have done throughout uh, the world's history. But still, even, even regardless, there's always, it seems like, popping up uh, things that tried to put pressure on you to crack or break your foundation. So my friends, settle it. I mean, you have to just be all, all in. You have to say, Lord, I, I surrender completely to you. If I lose my job because of my faith, I am not compromising. Now, see, that, that touches the area of your money. And that's where a lot of people, that's the big one for most people. And we're going to really find out how big it is when the Antichrist comes on the scene and you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark. Now, I do believe that the faithful... Those that truly belong to Lord, I, I do believe in the catching up of the saints. I believe that we will go to meet the Lord in the air. And then the, then the Antichrist can uh, run full speed ahead with his one world religion, one world government, and one world ruler, which just happens to be him. But even bumping up to that, we still see a lot of foreshadowing of that. And the spirit, spirit of Antichrist, as we know, it's already in the world, but it can't can't do exactly what it wants because of the restraining force that is still in the earth today. But my friends, there are these attacks upon your foundation. The early church went through it. They went through the fire. The first, the first 400 years of Christianity, it was nothing but wave after wave of persecution. And millions, literally millions of Christians died because they kept the faith, and their faith was anchored to what? Their sanctification. They are set apart for God. And so what was the clash with the Roman government? The clash with the Roman government is that Satan possessed and worked through a lot of these Roman leaders. And these leaders actually believed they were God. 
and the Romans, the citizens of Rome. And remember, Rome controlled completely the ancient civilized world. They controlled all of that. They controlled the land of Israel. They, they controlled a gigantic uh, swath of land. And all of those subjected to the control and influence of Rome had to worship the Roman gods, and they also had to worship the emperor Caesar himself. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, I'm a Christian. I don't think I'd go along with that. Oh, well, if you don't go along with it, now remember, first 400 years, uh, this is the way it rolled usually. Um, if you didn't go along with it, there's a couple of things that could happen. Um, initially, they went light on the Christians. They went easy. The, if you didn't go along with it initially, you would lose your job. In other words, if you didn't, go to the temple and give a offering, which is usually done by burning incense and eating fruit that's offered to the image of the God of the Caesar or perhaps one of the pantheon of Roman gods that they worship. If you didn't do that, number one, you lost your employment. Hey, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like today uh, that if you don't do this, which the government perhaps would push or a wicked agenda would push. And if you don't do it, they threaten to uh, take your job. Well, Pastor Stephen, God knows I got to eat. God knows I got bills to pay. Yeah, they did too. This all comes back to your foundation. Can you see why it's so important? Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm really into the products. I'm really into divine healing. I'm really in the miracles. Who isn't? That's a believer, right? I mean, we all like that. But what, what about your foundation in those moments where you really find out what matters most in life. Mm -mm. Well, anyhow, it, some, uh, some emperors got to the point, they're like, hey, we are going to be worshipped, and the gods that we worship are going to be worshipped by these Christians, and we're not playing games anymore. So we're, we're dismissing this thing of, hey, if you don't do it, we're going to cut your job, or we're, we're, going, to, we're going to make you move or take your home or something like that. They finally got to the point, if you don't do it, off with your head. And what they meant by that, you're dead. So we're either going to use you for entertainment in the arena to fight lions and get chewed on, or we're going to execute you in the most uh, humiliating and degrading ways, you, your wife, and your kids. And that's the way it is. Now, are you ready to go to the temple and make your little offering? That's all you have to do. Mm -mm. What are we dealing with? Foundational areas. And there were those who did. There were those who Christians who got saved. Oh, but Jesus is my Lord. But when the pressure came, yeah, some said, okay, let's go to the temple. Surely God understands. Yeah, he understands that you denied the faith before, before others. Mm, interesting. There was an out, just like there was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king said, hey, if you just compromise, you know, if you just bow down. You know, we're not asking you to do something extreme. All you do is just bow down, just bend the knee. It's over with. It's done. You know, it says that you show allegiance, that you worship us, and you're good to go. Wow. Same way there was an out for the early Christians if they would take what was called a labelle. That was basically, that's a Latin word because in the ancient Rome they spoke Latin. That's a word that means a certificate, and that's plural. So there, there would be these certificates, and you were required to carry around your certificate. It would be written on papyrus paper. So this is what you would do. If you were willing to compromise and bust up your foundation and deny that Jesus is the only true God, you know, that Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you were to deny your faith and go on down to the temple and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get my certificate because I don't want to get killed. Okay, then you would go down. There would be uh, the overseer, the Roman overseer. He would be there at the temple and you would burn incense to the statue of the Caesar and then you would eat a piece of the fruit that was fruit that was sacrificed to that God. And then you would fill out on uh, that papyrus, you would write your act of allegiance and worship of Caesar. Now, if it was just a single piece of paper, it was called a labellus. Uh, but if you had others, they're getting their certificates, then it's uh, plural called a labelli. By the way, there are thousands 
of these ancient labelli that had been discovered in, uh, there were quite a few of them found in Egypt, and there were a whole bunch found in Europe. They actually find these pretty consistently in uh, Europe, uh, particularly in these Roman-governed areas of these Christians who signed them, and they apostatized. They turned away from God because, uh, you know, they're trying to spare their life or whatever the case might be. So I've actually got one here in front of me. Not, not the real one. It's a copy. <laughs> and this is an ancient uh, labellus signed by a Christian who threw away their foundation. I'm sure the Christ, that whoever this person was loved the products, but they said, ah, I'm going to throw it all away because I've, I've got to eat. I want to live. Let's read it. Okay, so um, this was the... The temple offering, the sacrifice that was made, uh, this was actually found in Egypt in the year in 1893. Like I said, there's been thousands of these that have been discovered. They find more all the time. Okay, so this is the confession of a man. To the, to the commissioners of sacrifice. How about that? They had a group called the commissioners of sacrifice. <laughs> Look, there's coming a revived Roman Empire again. And uh, that spirit is trying to sweep over uh, Europe. And that spirit also, of uh, it, it's, it has a lot of communism mixed into it because communism always leads to atheism. But this is going to lead to uh, various forms of what I would call pagan-type worship. We're going to see a revival of that, unfortunately. So here's, here's, the, uh, here, here's the statement of worship. To the commissioners of sacrifice of the village of Alexander's Island, from Aurelius Diogenes, the son of Satabus, of the village of Alexander's Island, age 72 years, scar on the right eyebrow. Now remember, they didn't have driver's license, so they would try to give a little extra ID. Now you're going to carry this with you everywhere you go, so you have to write it out. That's what he's doing. Here's his confession. I have, now remember, he was a Christian. Up until they said, either you're going to worship Caesar or it's over with. So he went down to the temple. Here's his confession. I have always sacrificed regularly to the gods. And now in your presence, in accordance with the edict, I have done my sacrifice and poured the drink offering and tasted of the sacrifices. And I request you to certify the same. Farewell. Handed in by Aurelius Diogenes. Now then, when it was handed in with his signature, and if you couldn't sign, you didn't know how to write your name, there would be somebody else that would do that for you, and it would be countersigned. But normally you would sign, hand it in to that authority there at the temple, and he would countersign it, and you keep it with you all the time. It means that you are a worshiper of the emperor. You worship him as a god, and it also meant that you worship the Roman gods and... Uh, that's it. That's a wrap. Pretty crazy, huh? Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm glad we don't have things like that today. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of these political figures out there. They're very evil. They're very ungodly, and they would just love to be worshipped, but they're not going to get it from us. Praise the Lord. Now, your foundation is your sanctification, your unwillingness to waver off the purity and the morals, and the beauty of God and His Word. This is interesting. When you're committed in this area, it even means that sometimes there's gifts you can't receive. Ever thought about that? I've had it happen to me. My wife and I in the ministry have actually sent money back that people gave as offerings into the ministry, but it was done maybe in a sarcastic way. Maybe it was done thinking that they could manipulate. We sent it back. We, we've done it multiple times. So it's some, sometimes an offering, if it's got the devil behind it, it can actually be a trap. Mm -mm. Well, anyhow, I, I enjoyed the story that R.W. Schambach told years back. He went to a church in New Jersey uh, as a guest evangelist. He was going to minister. When he got there, the church was a, uh, the building was kind of old. It needed to be remodeled. It was kind of a small church, 
But the, the, the men and women that went to the church were good, hardworking people. And uh, Brother Shambach went there to hold revival meetings. And the pastor told Brother Shambach that a few weeks earlier, he said, a man dropped by the church one day in a real fancy suit. And he came in with a big check and laid it on the pastor's desk. And he told the pastor, I want to give this to you. And the pastor said, who are you? He said, my name's Mr. So-and-so. And the pastor said, aren't you the owner of that beer company down the road? And the man said, yep, that's me. And the pastor, operating, discerning the spirits, and also operating in biblical principles, said, I can't take your offering because you're trying to give that out of a guilty conscience. He said, I've got, I've got women in my church that cannot feed their babies because their husbands drink your beer and get drunk and spend all their money also at the bar and come home with no money to buy food. And all that's on you. And the man said, you're not going to take my money. He said, no, I'm not going to take your dirty money. You coming in here thinking you can buy me out just because I don't have wealth and prestige like you do. He said, I'm not for sale. And the man left. And Shambach said that when he heard that preacher tell that to him, he said, brother, he said, I'm going to help you raise the money so that you can buy a brand new building and, and rebuild, do everything that needs to be done here. And he did. He did. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to sell your soul. Mm, wow. I prayed over a young girl one time. I wouldn't say a girl. I'd say a young lady. She was, she was 17. I won't say who she is. World famous now. Her parents wanted me to pray for her. This is just before you could say her career took off. And I laid hands on her and kind of felt like pressure, like to agree with her what she's doing. I said, oh, I, sister, I see a totally different path God has for you. And I see things are charted this way and things are wanting to go this way because you're wanting them to go this way and you're being pulled this way. But God's got another path over, going over here. And if you take this path, you'll take God's path and you'll be a very, very happy person. Well, she took her path. <laughs> she took what was offered to her and what Sony Records presented to her. She became world famous, still is, and is still completely out of the will of God. Grew up singing in church. Mm. Grew up hands uplifted, praising God. And now doing the most vulgar, filthy things in front of millions and millions of young girls. Now that she's grown up to be a woman, she does the most vulgar and filthy things you could imagine. Filthy, dirty mouth. Wow. Well, Pastor Stephen, she became famous. There's a lot of famous people in hell. What's going on? Something's wrong with the foundation. If you can be bought out, something's wrong with your foundation. Mm, 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 mm. Praise God. Now, this is interesting. It's only your sanctification that enables you to genuinely say, God, whatever is not your will for me to have, May my hand never hold it. Because if you're not sanctified, you can say that. But if it's offered, you're going to take it anyhow because you don't care. But if it's not God's will for you and you're, he doesn't want you getting into that, wow. You can actually say it and mean it when you're sanctified. God, whatever is not your will for me, may I never hold it or may I never get into it or may I never access it. If it's not blocked from you, may I never step into it ever. Mm -mm. Here's a real crazy example of that one. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13 verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we are brethren. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself 
all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Mm-mm. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Yep, and that's right where Lot went. And he went there knowing that. Don't think for a minute that he didn't know that. Was it God's will? No, of course not. But he's not really interested in that. Why? Foundation's not right. Abraham's rock solid. Lot's, Lot was a righteous man. But if you think he was a holy man, you're totally kidding yourself. This is a guy that took he, himself and his family into a hellhole. Destroyed his marriage. What happened to his, lot, his wife? Even with angels dragging them out of the city, trying to pull them out of the city, she turns around because that's where her heart's at still in the city. She turns into a pillar of salt. So he blew up his marriage. He got what he wanted. It's not what God wanted, but it's what he wanted. Why? Because his foundation's messed up. He's compromised. He wants the luxury life. And remember, prosperity is a product of the gospel, but it is not the foundation. And if your foundation is not right, then you will have problems. So we have to fix it at the baseline. Woo, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Let's talk just for a moment about a few examples. I was thinking about this. We have like, we have like old school ministers, old school foundation as compared to new kind of like trending things in the modern church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. You know, I was thinking about a, a minister friend of mine. He's already gone to be with the Lord even years back. Uh, when I knew him, he was well into his 70s, and then he passed away a few years later. But um, had the foundation right. I remember going to a meeting one time before the meeting started. Uh, he came and sat down, and he sat right across from Kelly and I, and his face was lit up like a light bulb. I said, Brother Rod, I said, um, I said, what have you, what have you been doing? I said, your face is glowing. There's light, literal light. And there was no ceiling lights or TV lights. There was light streaming out of his face and his whole face was just emanating. And I said, what you, what have you been doing? He said, I've been in prayer and fasting. And, uh, look, he wasn't, he didn't walk in handing out tracks. He didn't walk in with a big King James Bible that thick hitting people over the head with it. He just walked in lit up by the glory of God because he'd been in the presence of the Lord. And when the foundation is right, you have expressions like that that will come out. They'll come out in your life too. What is that? That's sanctification. That's sanctification. <laughs> you, can come, you can come in lit up or you could come in with something on you. You know what I'm talking about? You can come in like, whew, that person's been through the ringer. Or how about this one? Wow, that couple looks like they must have had an explosive argument before they came here. Uh, yeah, that's the reason they look like that, because that's probably what happened. Or whatever the case might be. Or that one looks like they got ran over with a steamroller. Now, we're not trying to, like, you know, pull things out and, I, you, know, you know, examine everything, but sometimes that's what's, that's what's being expressed. You can see it on people. It's like you, you can't cover that. Even put a you know, unless you put a cloth over your face or something like that, but then you're going to bump into the wall. But my friends, it is your foundation that is built on your personal sanctification. Here's a good example of Smith Wigglesworth, the man known as the apostle of faith. On one occasion, Smith Wigglesworth recalled, he said, I was traveling to Cardiff in South Wales. I had been much in prayer on the journey. The carriage, and this is, was a, a train carriage, the carriage was full of people whom I knew to be unsaved. But as there was so much talking and joking, I could not get in a word for my master. As the train was nearing the station, I thought I would wash my hands. And as I returned to the carriage, a man jumped up and said, Sir, you convict me of sin. Now think about that. Wigglesworth, all he did was sit, he was just sitting down. He goes to the bathroom, washes his hands, comes back, sits back down, and a man jumps up and says, Sir, you convict me of sin. 
He's not walking into that train car reading the Bible. Now, I want everybody's attention in here. All of y'all are sinners, and you need to get your lives right with God right now. Now, there's a place, yes, for uh, proclaiming the gospel and ministering to people, okay? But he didn't do that. And yet the man jumps up and says, Sir, you convict me of sin. And the man fell on his knees right there and then. Soon the whole carriage of people were crying out the same way. They said, Who are you? What are you? You convict us all of sin. Mm, that's fascinating. Smith Wigglesworth also placed great emphasis on purity and holiness, like all true revivalists do. He said, you must every day make higher ground. You must deny yourself to make progress with God. You must refuse everything that is not pure and holy. This is old school. You can tell, right? God wants you pure in heart. He wants you to have an intense desire after holiness. Two things will get you to leap out of yourselves into the promises of God today. One is purity, and the other is faith which is kindled more and more by purity. Mm, 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 mm. Jesus will give you praise today. Glory to God. Well, let's do, it. let's do a little more old school. How about the Welsh Revival? Praise God. Because the Welsh Revival triggered the Azusa Street Revival. Later, that also gave some inspiration for the Hebrides Revival. But let's talk just for a moment about the Welsh Revival. It was a move of the Spirit of God that took place in Wales in 1904. It started. It was based upon four principles that Evan Roberts had laid out for receiving the Holy Spirit. Those four principles are these. Number one, confess all known sin to God, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Number two, remove anything from your life that you are in doubt or feel unsure about. Number three, be totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And number four, publicly confess the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, as your Savior. Now, I have never in my ministry ever seen anybody fail to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues after having applied these four uh, very, very simple principles. Praise God. Amen. So if you haven't if you've, uh, you know, actually, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, and the pastor laid hands on me and prayed for me, I, the, I mean, it started bubbling up, and it just, I began to speak, because the Holy Spirit would give, give you the utterance, and I began to speak, and tongues just began to pour out of me. I actually talked almost nonstop in tongues for about 24 hours, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I came out of a, a denomination that said that stuff doesn't happen anymore. So I was having a time in, in the spirit, glory to God. So I was, I was just eating it up. Now, this is what's amazing. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit and instantly started speaking in other tongues, the pastor walked right next to the girl next to me. She also went to college. I knew who she was. She uh, was right next to me, just a few feet away. She also had came, come forward for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when he laid hands on her, she, she wanted to receive something, or she wanted to receive the Holy Spirit baptism, but it, it didn't happen. And she got frustrated and she yelled out. She said, Pastor, it's not happening. It's not working. And I felt the Holy Spirit was telling me, like, now, don't pay any more attention to her. You've got your own thing. Let her work her own thing out. But the pastor later was a little bit, like, perplexed why she didn't receive. We found out three days later she was in an ongoing adulterous relationship with a married man. Can you believe that? A college student in a relationship with a married man. Oh, <laughs> Lord have mercy. So she's violating one of these four, which is confess all known sin to God and receive forgiveness through Jesus. She wasn't willing to do that. So she didn't get filled. Mm -mm. What's wrong? Foundation. Foundation cracked. She's not willing to get it corrected. Now, let's go a little bit further. That's, um, that's the way uh, Evan Roberts ruled, who God used so strongly in the Welsh Revival. During the, the Welsh Revival, um, it spread throughout Wales from 1904, uh, and in early 1905, although they didn't keep official numbers like who gave their heart to Christ, um, a conservative estimate said that 150,000 were saved and born again during the first six months. 
whole communities were turned upside down. Do, do you understand what I'm saying when I say that your foundation is sanctification? Because listen to what really happens in like these full-blown moves of God. Whole communities were turned upside down and were radically changed from depravity to glorious goodness. The crime rate dropped, often to nothing. The police force reported that they had little more to do than supervise the coming and going of the people to the chapel prayer meetings. While magistrates turned up at courts to discover there were no cases to try, the alcohol trade was decimated. I know there's some of you, you love Jesus, but you love your alcohol too, don't you? And it doesn't matter how many scriptures I would teach to show that drinking alcohol is a very, very dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, maybe, maybe the only scripture that some of you can quote is Jesus turned water into wine or Paul telling Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. But yet you have no stomach problem. But yet maybe those are the only one or two verses you can quote in the whole Bible. But you don't understand that the wine that they drank back in those days is totally different from the wine that we have today. They had no bottles back then. Only, only like the Pharaoh of Egypt and a few ultra, ultra wealthy Israelites had glass. So there's no glass bottles and there's no refrigeration. So the wines back then were completely different. The wine that we uh, sell today in the grocery stores is what the 12 apostles, if they would have looked at that, they would have said, that's what the pagans drink. That's what the drunkards and those that don't know God drink. Mm. That's not what Jesus turned uh, from water into wine. That's a different story. But why is it, even if you're adamant, I can drink wine, why is it every time there's a real powerful move of the Spirit, the bars shut down? Hmm? Why is it that if alcohol is okay, anytime the Holy Spirit starts moving real strong, all the nightclubs and the bars go out of business? If alcohol is of God, don't you think all the saints would end up over at the bar? <laughs> Woo! Okay, I better move on. Some people are getting real squirmy right now. Families experienced amazing renewal where the money earning husband and father, the breadwinner had wasted every had wasted away the income and, and so discord. But now under the moving power of the Holy spirit, following the conversion to be a follower of Jesus, he not only provided correctly for family needs, but was now with the family rather than wasting his time and wages at the tavern, getting drunk souls were saved. Individual lives were changed and society itself was changed. Praise God. Men and women who used to waste their money getting drunk were saving it, giving it to help their churches, buying clothes and food for their families. And not only drunkenness, but stealing and other offenses grew less and less so that often the magistrate came to court, found there were no cases at all to trial. Men whose language had been filthy before learned to talk purely. It is related that not only did the, uh, the colliers uh, these were the men that worked in the coal mine. Not only did the colliers put in a better day's work, but also that the pit ponies were so used to being cursed and sworn at that they just couldn't understand orders being given anymore to them through the kind, clean words that the miners were now using. Yet the, st the work still increased and the output increased. The dark tunnels underground in the mines echoed with the sounds of prayer and hymns instead of oaths and cursing and nasty jokes and gossip. People who had been careless about paying their bills or paying back money they had borrowed paid up all they owed. People who had fallen out became friends again. What's that? That's people who had their foundation right. When you had the Hebrides revival, uh, which the Hebrides being the outer islands of Scotland, when the Holy Spirit swept through that, uh, that island chain, it was amazing what took place because the glory of God would come out of church buildings and would go out in like in a radius, a 50-mile radius or a 70-mile radius. And anybody within that radius, even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, would wake up under heavy heavy conviction of their sin. And so it was a tremendous revival of reaching the sinners, uh, not without preaching. It was primarily through the glory of God emanating out, sinners coming in contact with that glory and suddenly having an awareness of God and His presence and then being faced with the reality of all of their sins. 
And so you would have times throughout the day, uh, throughout the night, where people would come, sometimes crawling, sometimes walking, sometimes on their knees moving forward, trying to get to the church because they were woken up at three or four in the morning with that tremendous glory presence, and they had to get their lives right with God. One of the great uh, traits of that revival um, some people call it like the sleepless revival because a lot of those that were, were involved in it because of the glory of God was so strong, many of the saints involved in it, some of them would go to sleep at three, four, or five o'clock in the morning and then get up at seven and work all day <laughs> and then jump right back into the revival meetings at night. And they did that for three years nonstop. Amazing. Amazing. Were there signs and wonders? Was there deliverance? Was there healing? Yes, all of that was there. But what's foundation? Your sanctification, your life right with God. By the way, historians tell us that with the Hebrides revival, there, it, was, it was like completely unheard of for one of those converts to ever fall away from God. Why? They got the foundation established right. But see, today, today we have preachers right now that they'll preach on Sunday morning. Soon as the pastor's done, the pastor and his associates leave and they'll go to the cigar bar downtown. They'll go to the city, go downtown. They'll go to the cigar, cigar bar and order fancy whiskeys. And they'll sip on whiskey and blow smoke in each other's face. And they'll think, isn't it wonderful what God has done? And that they have no understanding of your foundation is connected to your sanctification. And so we have a lot of craziness in the church today because of that. And people don't understand this. So we need to know it. And we need to be able to teach it to the younger saints, not as law or legalism, but as grace. And it's that grace of God that gives us that strength to stabilize the foundation, get our lives in order, get ourselves, ourselves ready to stand before the Lord. Praise God. You know, there have been revivals. There was the healing revival from 1957 to 19, uh, excuse me, 1947 to 1959. So there was the healing revival. And I believe we're going to have uh, some of all of this mixed into the big one. But the big one will have uh, this area of getting your life right with God, foundationally ready. And then we'll enjoy the icing on the cake, or as we would say, all of the products that come along with the gospel experience. Praise God. And we embrace it all. But my friends, let's not overlook the major thing. <laughs> oh, when I was young, um, being raised in church, Sunday school, when, you know, just as a little child, we had this song, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful little eyes what you see. Then there's the next stanza. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Because the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful little ears what you hear. But the modern day preacher says, well, you can look at whatever you want to. You can hear it. You can listen to any kind of music you want to. You can watch any kind of movies you want to. Just be free. Praise the Lord. No, that's going to end in a mess. You need to have your life strong, have your foundation strong so that God can put mighty works upon it and build great structures of uh, exploits and uh, faith works upon it. But let's make sure that that foundation is rock solid and keep it that way and keep growing stronger every day in these things. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are watching that grace strengthen them, O oh God, that you strengthen them with your grace. Let their foundations be strong. No broken believers, no uh, flawed, cracked foundations. Thank you, Father, but rock hard cement. Thank you, Father God, because shakings are coming. Financial difficulties are going to arise. And Father, it takes more than just saying, I'm blessed. It has to be a reality of the foundation being set in stone. And then all the other things are easy. So Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father. Bless your people. Let them move forward in these areas of guarding their sanctification and strengthening it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord.
Maybe I'm a little bit of a hybrid preacher. I think it's good for me. I'm American. I thank God I live in this country. I'm honored to live in this country. But I'm privileged to interact with Iranians and um, to know their plight, their suffering, uh, their martyrdom that some of them face on a daily basis. I'm privileged to be able to minister to the Chinese underground church and just preach. And, and they're like sponges and just preach hours and hours and hours. And, and they just eat it up. I'm privileged to have such interactions, knowing that for many of them, they're doing all of it in secret. They're watching me with the risk that if they get caught, and we're trying to do all we can to keep this coded, but they're watching knowing they're taking a risk. They could lose their job. Absolutely. They could lose everything. They could lose everything, but they love God. And there's that foundation that's strong and they embrace that. Praise God. Now we're going to walk in wisdom too. We're going to walk in wisdom. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So we're not looking to uh, stick our head out on a shopping block. Okay. We want to live. And at the same time, we live with our lives laid down fully to the Lord. Praise God. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way. And I want to encourage you to choose Jesus today. He'll save you right now. He'll wash your sins away and He'll make you ready for heaven. Okay? Now, if you are a Christian, uh, but you went away from God, and now you're messed up. You know, you, you're, you're, you know you're not right with God. Okay, you need to come back, and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus right now. So I want you also to pray this prayer. Okay, so now, let us call upon the name of the Lord. If you're not saved, pray this. If you're ready to rededicate, and I know you are, pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. I lay my whole life down to you. I belong to you now. Wash my sins away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life and strengthen me with your grace to live uncompromisingly for you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm all in. In your name, I pray. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. You made the greatest decision you could ever make. Praise God. Now, before we conclude today, let's take Holy Communion. Grab some unleavened bread. You can use a little wafer, a little cracker like what I have right here. And grab some grape juice. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we bless the bread and the juice. We set it apart as being holy. We thank you that this is the body and the blood of Jesus. We celebrate his death until he comes back. We know he's coming again. So, Father, we just thank you that it's through his death that he made it available for us to receive life. So we thank you, O oh God. We have everlasting life beating within our hearts. We will live with you forever in heaven. We ask today for strength. We ask, Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh for that determination to go all the way with you. And you'll always take care of us but we have to have that level of commitment. So Father, let it be there. Let it rise up. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the Lord's body. Praise the Lord. Glory. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just say this. Say, I will never deny the Lord. Say, I will never deny the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Because mm -mm. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you at my coming. Mm -mm. Jesus, we thank you. Let us be rock solid. Let your grace flow. Woo! Let it flow. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus his mighty cleansing power. We forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against us. We bless them and we move on in you. We thank you, Father. We move on in sanctification and holiness. We give you praise. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's receive. Woo! Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. You feel fire in your spirit. Amen. That's the Holy Spirit igniting you on the inside. Amen. Mm -mm. Praise God. Nothing bad that you tolerate will ever leave your life. You have to just get fed up and say, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this garbage in my house. I'm done with that stuff in my uh, uh, hidden closet over there. I'm done with all this stuff. Play, praise God. Clean up. Live right. Mm, mm, mm. Glory. God's moving. God's moving by His Spirit. He's getting you ready. Getting you ready. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That way you can actually from your heart say, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Glory. All right. God's touching you right now, blessing you, filling you. Amen. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.